Amen. Amen. So we've been doing a talking since August on the uh, different ways of uh, the Holy Spirit moves and, and, and so on, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit on us, the Holy Spirit through us, and all of those um, messages are online. And um, one of the things I want to say is I feel really, when I'm, when I'm preaching or speaking on the Holy Spirit on God, and we're going to speak on the manifest presence of God today, I almost feel like I'm standing on very holy ground, like Moses, uh, when he take my shoes off or something, because I truly, in the short time that I have on a Sunday, I'm trying to represent him well, represent this, and it's like swimming in an eternal ocean that has no boundaries. It's so deep, so wide, so incredible, and the more you seek him out, um, the more you realize how little you know of who he is and what he wants to do. But he is the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, and at salvation he dwells in, within us. We have him uh, dwelling in us when we baptize in the Holy Spirit. He comes upon us, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God manifests in many ways, and I want to speak a little bit about the manifest um, presence of God. We, we know there's the omnipresence of God, the God of the universe. There's no boundaries. Um, there's, the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. He's inside us, but God wants to manifest his presence and uh, we're going to look at that um, for a while today, um, and I pray that you will seek out more. You see, for me, over the time, as we've been speaking on these things, I have noticed an increased sense of the presence of God and expectation in the lives of people. And um, some people would call the Holy Spirit, I've heard, a the forgotten God, because we often speak about the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit is critical to our, uh, our walk with Christ. And there's been an incredible sense of that. And I've been getting some prophecies from many people, and they're confirming prophecies that we got um, when this church started about this church would be a place of the presence of God. And I believe we're coming into a season like that again. We have been in the past. But I'm, my heart is this time that it will be a sustainable season, that we just go deeper and deeper into the things of God. And um, Felicity Pooley sent this word to Debs and I, and if we could have it up there, um, that would be amazing. I'll read it from here. Mike and Debs, as I was thanking God this morning for, for you and Debs, your faithful leaders and the eldership team of Oceanside, Maya, I want to thank you so much for teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I feel spiritually it's such a breakthrough for Oceanside, and the floodgates are finally opened. We can look forward to much more, and this is the key, as we continue to surrender every era of our lives to the leading of God. Bless you, Felicity. You see, church, God has given us keys here. I want to keys open big doors. Jesus says that I will give you keys of the kingdom. 
And uh, we know that key, a key is a little thing that God gives us that can open mighty doors. We're often looking for the big revelation, but that door can be locked, and I can bang against it as much as I like, and it's not going to open, and somebody's going to say, hey, would you like a key? And often we're banging up against God and banging up against things in our life, and God says, I want to give you keys that will open doors, that will open doors that no man can shut, and I will shut doors that no man will, will open, but I will give you those keys. And this, the keys with the manifest presence of God, um, these are the things that need to be in place for God to fully move, because God is in a partnership with us. It's the divine partnership, and I don't really understand why he would choose to partnership with man, because it's a crazy partnership. I bring zero percent, and he brings a hundred percent, and he says, it's all yours. Let's partner together. Any businessman here that want to partner with me like that? I'm available. God gives it all, but he brings us into partnership, and he works with us, and we have We have the ability to shut God out of our lives or to open our hearts to God because God is a God of free will. And free will is the ultimate expression of love. People say, well, why would God give me a choice to go to heaven or hell? Because he loves you. If he didn't give you a choice, it would be abuse. It would be like marrying somebody and having a gun to the head every day and telling them what to do and how to live their lives in fear. That is not love. That is abuse. So God gives us a choice. Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And he's talking to the church, not the world. The church of Laodicea. And if anyone opens that door, I will come him and have fellowship with him, and he with me. He never boots the door down. And so we partner with God, even with the manifest presence of God. God can send prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word, but unless we apply that word, not only corporately, but individually, because the church is not a community, the church is not a building, the church is people. You are the church. And when we come together, we worship as the church. We don't go to church. We are the church of the living God. And so these are some of the things that, he, that need to be in place. An increased desire to pray and seek God's face. And can I say daily? God never invent, in, intended our relationship with Him to be an event a Sunday event, a home group event, an evangelism event. He intends those so that we can encourage each other and build each other up. But it's a daily relationship. And I'm always amazed. This is the thing that shocks me the most, is that I can get so busy as a pastor, and we have a ministry that into nations, and this last year was three or four months, I think, was outside of Oceanside, in Australia, New Zealand, and other places, ministering the Word. And I can get so busy learning, teaching, what's the next preach, what's the next teach, that I don't have a relationship with God. And that's why He sent Jesus to die for us. 
Jesus did not simply die to, so that our sins would be forgiven and we would go to heaven. Because if that was the plan, the best thing he could have done is when we accepted Jesus, could have killed us before we made any more mistakes and take us to heaven. He died and paid the price for our sins so that relationship that was broken by sin in the garden through Adam would be be restored through Jesus Christ. He's a relational God. And we can have as much or as little as Him as we want, Oceanside. We can have a few drops, or we can eventually move from the omnipresence to the manifest presence, and there's another presence, the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah glory of God that can fall on a people and fall on a nation, that people will lie in the streets in the presence of God. It's, it's liquid gold. It's the Shekinah glory, and that is a, a presence that God has for us. But he says, if you seek me, you will find me. Number one, we have to seek. And he says this, if you seek me, but you need to seek me with all your heart. Sorry, I'm already behind time here, and that's not even in my notes. (laughs) An increase, I'll try and just read a few because (laughs) I don't know, we might be a little bit late today. An increased desire to pray and seek God's face. An increased humility towards God and one another. And as Felicity prophesied, a surrender of every area of our lives to the leading of God's Spirit. An increased desire in us to seek God's face. An increased humility towards God and each other. An increased surrender of every era of our lives to the leading of God, the Holy Spirit. As we come into this new year, we have choices. Yes, this church will grow and prosper. God is gracious. God is gracious. We can live off the crumbs, or we can come and feast at the table. The crumbs will feed us, but he has a banquet for us. He has a place where he wants to take us in the presence of God that we need to make adjustments to get to. In Ephesians, talking about humility, which is key, and I want to see that, show you that. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 4, Paul writes, from a Roman jail, and he starts this, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you live a life worthy? First of all, by being completely humble and gentle and patient. And bearing with one another in love. Sometimes we just have to grin and bear each other. There are times when we don't like each other. And the King James puts it there with an amazing word. It's called long suffering. (laughs) Sometimes we have to suffer long with each other. Be patient. Just bear with each other. Husbands and wives, sometimes you just got to do that. Unfortunately, but it's worth it because it's about unity. 
making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, not only with Oceanside, with every church in the city that calls on the name of Jesus. We are one little vineyard. With every church that God has planted, God is into a creative God, and He has different expressions of church that meet different people's needs. Different is good. Division is bad. When I go to, we had a Baskin Robbins here years ago, but when I go down and I go to an ice cream shop, I love good ice cream, and uh, I want to go to Baskin Robbins because they've got 42 or 52 flavors. That's awesome. You don't want to be behind me in the lineup because <laughs> I want to taste all 52 of them. But why? Is it a successful? We don't argue about coffee flavors or food flavors and all of this. Just let God be God and let him express himself in the city through various churches as he sees fit. And if God draws you here and moves you on from other places or moves you on from here, celebrate it. Do it well. Make sure there's no disunity and go and be where God has called you to be. Amen? You see, unity takes effort. Verse 3. There's only one body, one spirit, just as you're called to Christ. You see, he tells us to be hum- a humble, gentle, patient, and bear with another, one another. You know what? If we are humble people, that will automatically happen. It's not something we have to work on. You see, the Bible encourages us to clothe ourselves with humility. You know, it's an interesting thing. I see many gifted people and many, they've got it going. And the older I get, sometimes the sadder I'm about it because I recognize myself as a young man or whatever, just going to take the world on for Jesus and all of that. And I travel a lot. I'm not saying that out of any pride. I never ask to go anywhere, never invite myself. God opens doors, we get calls and we respond. And I was in uh, Australia for six weeks and, and ministering from Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and six or seven churches and so on. And I tell you, it's wonderful to see so many gifted people, but often no humility. No humility. Gifts are without repentance. And it's like a mirror to myself sometimes. And this is just a sobering thought to me and you. Believe you me, you don't want to be preparing services like this. I've worked on these for weeks. And I'm on my knees for weeks. And ask my wife, I'm up at most mornings, around about 4, 4.30 in the morning. Just because of the weight of this. And I'm not, please don't feel worried for me. I'm really doing well. But I know that this is almost like a sober assembly that God wants if we want to have. If we don't want what he wants to give us, that's cool. He still loves us, we're saved. Amen? But how many of you want more? Good. Good. You see, humility is so important. In 1 Chronicles seven thirteen to 15, in 2 Chronicles, sorry. I hope I didn't give you the wrong. It says this, I 
I think I said one chronicles is two chronicles. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to vile the land and send a plague on my people, if my people who are called my, by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This land, this city needs healing. It starts right here. Now my eyes will be open and my ears are attentive to the prayers offered and placed in this, in this place. You see, humble people pray much because they understand that any greatness they, they achieve is not in them but through him. Not in yourself, but it's in and through him that we achieve greatness. They see the divine hand of God, his grace and providence at work in their lives every day. They understand that God is more responsible for the, um, for the achievements than they are. That their skills, talents, natural abilities are not their own but gifts given by God to be used for his glory. And they understand that the reason for God, that God blesses them is simply for them to be a blessing to others. Blessing in, blessing out. Blessing in, blessing out. You see, truly humble people recognize the total Dependence on God. Church, we can plan. We can plan, but we can't, can't control those plans. We can plan to do stuff this year. I got a call last night. Very good friend of mine. Son, in, in a sense. Who fell off a skateboard skating with his kids. Bumped his head. A blood clot, and now is in dire straits. That's how quick plans change. We need to understand, church, it's the providence of God. This is not a thing of fear because God can deliver us and protect us. And already this morning I got a text to say that he's doing better. Lots of prayer. And believing that it, and it wasn't as bad as they originally thought. So God can do that. And if you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plans are. <laughs> His plans are so much bigger than ours. Amen. You see, humble people recognize their dependence on God. And Moses understood this. He knew that without God, he could not accomplish anything without value. Can you imagine Moses with over a million people following him through the Red Sea into a desert with no plans to feed them, no plans to accommodate them? Imagine if you had made a plan. How much food do we need? Well, they were nearly taking another 40 years just to get the food together. No plans. Just the call 
of God. And when we're in God's call, He provides. Sometimes not as we expect us. And He understood what it meant when Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread. For 40 years, God supplied bread, manna for them in the desert. Every day they relied on God. And so he has in Exodus 33 this amazing conversation with God. And we've read it before, but I'm just reading it again. And church, that's the amazing thing about Scripture. You can say, well, I read that, I read that. I tell you, if you just ask God to show you something in that passage, it just jumps out. Because information becomes revelation through the power of the Holy Spirit. To people without the Spirit, the Bible is, if at best, a history book. But inspired by the Spirit, it jumps off the page and it begins to make sense because it's supernatural. Amen? So this is what Moses used to do. Moses, okay, I, I lead a church, of, uh, a wonderful church, and we've got a team, and we're busy. Moses led a million people And what did he do first? Not try and sort them all out. Not try and find food. Not try and do all that stuff. No, he went outside, if we could have that up there, to a tent. He started his day outside of the camp in a tent, some distance away, and he called it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of God would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching uh, Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, the glory of God, and stay at the entrance while while God spoke to Moses. And whatever the people saw, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his own tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses, old covenant, as a man speaks to a friend. I think one of the greatest accolades we could ever have one day is, Mike, you were a friend of God. You're my friend. God responded to Moses. And Moses has this conversation. Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. I don't even know who's going to lead with me at this stage. You have said I know you by name, and I found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, he says to God, then teach me your ways. In other words, says, Lord, you're telling me I had to do this. Lord, I know your will. Now I want to know your ways. How? In your circumstance with your family, in your circumstance in your job, in your circumstance with the community. Are we asking God? Are we running ahead and we fall in a 
pile and then we run back to God. God, what is your way? The highways of God. My ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. But if you come up to my holy mountain, he says in Isaiah, I will teach you my ways. The ways of God, the highways of God. And Moses said, I want to know your ways. And so let's carry on from there. So that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And this is how God responded. My presence, my anointing will be upon you. And my presence will go with you. And in my presence you will find rest in the midst of the storms. Then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Lord, if your presence does not go with Oceanside, Lord, may we just wait and wait and wait for your presence. So we don't run ahead and run back and run ahead. Let us be a people, Lord. When I step out the door of my home, I spend time with God. Your ways, God, for my children, my family. Lord, if your presence does not go with me, I don't know even leave my home. I want you to be with me. That's the relationship that God wants with us. And he says this, How will anyone know that you are pleased with me, with your people, unless you go with us? What else distinguishes me from your, uh, from your people and your people from all the other people in the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, show me your glory. We sang that song this morning. I want to tell you how thankful I am for this worship team. I text BJ yesterday afternoon, never played it, never sung it, this team, and said, will you do that song? And they did it. How humbling is that? To have such an incredible team, not an even an easy song, that they'd come early this morning to learn so we can sing of that because of this very scripture. And the Lord said, I will call my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord is in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, because no one can see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you cannot see. The cleft of the rock, church. Very important to understand what that's all about. I love storms. Crazy. I live in a beautiful place that has storms. And I asked Deborah if there's a big snowstorm and wind blowing. I haven't done it this year yet, but I go out and sit in it. And a little covering. I just love it. It's just 
powerful. It's just amazing. And one day I was um, down at the waterfront, and I was praying about something, and I was walking on that pier that goes off to the, to the Newcastle Island there. I was in a bit of a state at the time, and, um, and I was crying out to God about some stuff um, with regards to Deb's and my situation and health and, and those kind of things. And I was standing on this, this uh, on there, and the wind was howling, and the rain was coming, and it was awesome. But it was just coming from this across here, and I was like standing in the wind like this, and I looked the other side of, of the jetty there, and in there, there was a flock of seagulls. And it was completely calm. And they were bobbing up and down as if nothing was happening. And here I'm fighting the storm, and they were in the cleft of the rock. And when those storms come, church, in your life, our first response must not be to try and fight the storm, Take it on. It's too big for you. Our response simply needs to be, come under the shadow of the Almighty in His presence. Come under that cleft of the rock. Stay there because the storm will go. The storms always go. They blow over and those birds know it. And they come out again. Understand that. God wants you, Him, to be your first response. And then the Lord came down, verse 34, 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with them and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving the wickedness and and forgiving the wickedness and rebellion of sin. It's amazing. God asked Moses, Moses asked God, sorry, to show him his glory. He did not show it in his power and in his might and his majesty, which he could have. He shows his glory to Moses by proclaiming, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. God has so much compassion and grace for you. God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains his love to thousands and forgives all wickedness, rebellion, and sin. We don't have to be afraid of God. You'll know the voice of the enemy and the voice of the devil in just these two simple things. When you mess up, the devil will say, you're trashed, you're finished, there's no hope for you. Even religious people in the church will say that to you. You're finished. Run away. But the voice of the father, like with the prodigal son, is waiting for you to come home. Enemy will say, run away. God says, run to me every time. He's gracious. 
He's compassionate. He forgives your sin. He sets you free. And how many times? A thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand. His forgiveness is there. And we can live in that place where we're trying to fight storms on our own. And we can live in condemnation where we feel we can't come to God. And we go through this because we love God and it's a cycle in our lives where we can just abandon ourselves to God. Humble ourselves and say, God, I cannot do it without you. And he's saying, I've been waiting to hear that for 40 years, Mike. You're a slow learner. Amen? You see, this is the key of the presence of God. We get up in the morning and we run out that door and we got a good intention. I'm going to really represent God well. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do all of that. We get out the driveway and our neighbor hasn't snowed, we'll put their snow pile in, right in front of our driveway, and all of that virtue is gone. <laughs> Smoke coming out the ears, and it just goes on from then. We get home at night and say, oh, I really suck today. God, forgive me, and so on. But tomorrow, I'm going to try. God says, stop trying in your own strength. Stop trying. You see, the transformation, there's two ways we're transformed. Religion wants to transform you from the outside in. So it's the way you look. You've got to look like this. You can't have this. You can't do that. That's of the devil. That's good. Piercings, yes. Tattoos, no. Whatever it is. All about the external. Where God does not look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, he knows he has you. And if he has you, he knows he can use you for the extension of his kingdom. We've turned it around. The enemy, you're on this treadmill, you've got to do it. You're a bad parent, you're bad this, you're bad that, you're bad this, you're bad everything, and it just goes on and on and on. We come to the cliff of the rock. We come there, and we find this God who's slow to anger, who's abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, but separates him as far as the east is from the west and chooses to remember them no more. That's where we go. And when we go there daily, and he washes the mud off us, from that last day, we were one bit closer and one bit cleaner. And the next day, and the next day. Because when we spend time in his presence, our character begins to change from the inside out. And we are transformed into his likeness. And this transformation starts with the revelation of God's unconditional love, forgiveness, and acceptance of you. If you cannot believe that, if you cannot believe that, then you will always live under con God can never forgive what I did. On the cross, 
Jesus had two thieves, murderous thieves on either side. One mocked him. The other one just said this, Hey, Jesus, please remember me. That's all he said. Didn't get baptized full with the Spirit, become a pastor, no. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me. He recognized Jesus as the Christ. He knew who he was through revelation. And Jesus saved him in an instant. If you can do it to that thief on the cross, if you can do it to Paul, who 1 Timothy says, I was a violent man because I persecuted the church. And he said, I don't even dare or should never be an apostle of Christ, but by the grace of God. And he says, but because of his grace, I do what I need to do. Because of his grace, I follow God more. Because of his mercy, I follow him more. Church, we've got to cut those, those demonic umbilical cords to our past. It starts there. It starts coming and just, if you picture yourself just standing daily under a waterfall, and as the water begins to flow, it's just washing that over. Ezekiel says, 37 I think, I will sprinkle clean water you, and you will be clean. And I will put my spirit upon you, and I will move you to follow my decrees. I will do all of that, and I will do it daily. And every day, you'll get closer and closer to Jesus. Amen? Have you got time for just another little story? Yay, one person. I'll take one. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. See, in the Gospel of John, I was reading this John 4, the, the Samaritan woman, Jesus at the well. We know the story. And we know how he reveals himself to her and tells her her story and in a way that brings redemption to her and, and honor to her. But near the end of that story, they begin to engage in another conversation. And this is what she wants to engage in. It's about worship. She's a Samaritan. She says, we worship here. The Jews worship here. Where should we worship kind of thing. So she engages Jesus. And Jesus is not interested in the protocol style of worship or where it's done. Whether it's rock music, whether it's rap, or whether it's a pipe organ in a cathedral. He is not interested. He's not even interested on how good we do it or not. He is interested in her heart. So he cuts through all of this stuff about this protocol, where should we, why, how, all of this. And he goes straight to her heart. And he tells her, it really doesn't matter where you worship. But it's who and how you worship that matters. In my words. He says this in 4.23 to 24. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not true musicians, not true songs, true worshipers. A lifestyle of worship that comes out of our daily meeting with Him. And if we croak like a frog or we can sing like an angel, He's still looking at the heart. The heart of worship. True worshipers. For they are the kind of worship the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the worship that God wants, truth. What is truth? God, I really messed up today. God, I can't do this on my own, but you can. And I want to worship you, Lord God, just because of who you are, not because of who I am. I just want to give you glory and praise, Dad. I just want to have a relationship with you. If you're lonely, you have a friend that will stick closer than a brother. It's Jesus Christ. And my, my mentor, one of my mentors, godly man who started New Covenant Ministries and lives in Australia now, Dudley Daniels, we can have that quote. Yeah. This is what he wrote. What is possibly most needed, in the pre- uh, needed is the presence of God in the midst of his people. Without the presence of God, we have no power, no authority, no transformation, no glory, and no, no glory to display to the nations. Without the Spirit that gives life, we have only the letter of the law to preach. Without the Spirit, there's death. When He comes, there's life. And with the life, there's potential for growth and fullness. Genuine ministry takes place when there is an operation of the Holy Spirit, whereby He transforms us into His image through the Word of God. If this transformation does not happen, then no ministry has taken place. And I want to end with this. Amazing little scripture, one verse scripture in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says this, Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Church, can we in these last few moments draw near to God? Can we just put that stuff aside? If we need to ask God for forgiveness, He's forgiven you anyway. He just wants to hear you say it. If we need to repent of stuff, or if we just need Him to touch us in a dry and thirsty time, Lord, I pray that you'll do this as we Worship yourself for a while. Lord, I pray that this year, that this church will be marked as a people of your presence. That your presence will go with us. That your presence will lead us. I pray that in the precious name of Jesus.